Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. in the telecommunications business, having spent a number of years in executive positions to include the CEO of one of the biggest players in the sector. We're going to talk about leadership, charitable endeavours, and of course the telecoms industry now and in the future. A riveting conversation awaits my listeners today at Headstalk, but before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Let's talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Ronan Dunn is the Executive Vice President and CEO of Verizon Consumer Group. He leads the teams responsible for providing wireless voice, data, TV products and services, and wireless connected experiences to more than 100 million consumers every day. In addition, his teams are helping to build the first 5G technology network that will redefine how consumers live, work, will partake in leisure. Prior to this, Ronan was the executive vice president and group president of Verizon Wireless. He led the teams that provide products and communication services for consumer business and government customers on the nation's largest and most reliable network. Before joining Verizon, Ronan was the chief executive officer of Telefonica UK, also known as O2. There's a lot more I could add to this introduction of Ronan, but I'd like to hear from him now. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Ronan to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. And thank you, Elaine, for the invitation. Okay, right. Um, the dilemma I had with this episode today was, what do I narrow this 30-40 minute conversation down to? In my research, there were so many, so many things I wanted to talk to you about. And have you sort of enlightened my listeners on various topics. So I do hope this episode captures some of the pressing questions I have for you. Um, Heads Talk is about the current issues of, uh, and topics of the day in your area of expertise. So let's concentrate on recent events and some of the current and demanding issues in your space. Um, I'd like to start the discussion with a couple of questions on the, the One Young World Summit. You're a counsellor and a mentor and quite involved in this charity. You recently attended the July summit. Can you briefly tell my listeners about this programme and event? What are your takeaways from the recent Munich meeting? Well, thank you. First of all, for those who aren't familiar, One Young World is a global youth uh, movement set up a little over 10 years ago and really creates a forum and environment for young people who are already taking leadership positions in their communities and societies and providing them with a platform where they can engage with other like-minded people, but also with leaders in civil society, leaders in the corporate uh, environment to influence those people for the better good of young people and the society overall. And key to me is that um, young 
One Young World embraces a concept, a philosophy that I've believed in all my life. And that is that talent is broadly distributed in our society. It's opportunity that isn't. And so a lifelong commitment of mine and one that is mirrored in One Young World is this principle of matching talent to opportunity to create better outcomes for the better good of more uh, more people. So what we do is we convene every year, the groups uh, meet uh, throughout the year, they have their local networks, but really it's about supporting other young leaders. And it's not future leaders, it's people who are already taking a position. They're addressing issues of social justice, education, access, affordability, LGBT challenges, environmental challenges, and they're really creating movements in their environments, anything with the uh, reality of cyberbullying in a small country uh, like the Gambia, where in a patriarchal society, there's a lot of oppression of women and the way they're portrayed um, on the internet. So a great example, a young woman in her 20s who's going out and talking to people who mightn't otherwise have a role model who tells them what they can and can't say no to what they can and, and, and can do to protect themselves in their uh, both relationships, but also in the exposure of them and their information uh, online. Incredibly powerful, but it brings together great leaders, you know, Paul Polman, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau, big national leaders in either corporate and, uh, or, or the political world, and brings them together with large corporates who are committed to the principles of sustainable development goals, among, uh, among other things. And at Verizon, where we're strongly committed to uh, corporate and global citizenship, we see an opportunity to expose our young people and our young leaders to the ambition of a global leadership cadre so that we can be pushed further than we might otherwise uh, go. And for me, the takeaways were really about the fact that I get inspired every time I go there and humbled by the real pace of change and the willingness of a generation of young people to put um, doing well and doing good together. Traditionally, maybe the older generation, people like myself have tended to focus on doing good first and then focus on uh, are doing well first and then focus on doing good later in their careers. Uh, you know, we have a generation of young people who see doing, doing well and doing good as just two sides of the same coin and are committed to making a difference right from the very, very start. What we try to do is help them to understand how the harnessing of technology in the service of society can help them to amplify and accelerate their programs, their change agenda, and so very much a natural adjunct to Verizon and its, uh, and its business. Thank you for that. Uh, and I'd like to, in the episode description, put a link to the, the One World Summit webpage or to some of the work that you're doing in that space, because what normally happens when listeners Fantastic. hear this, they want to know more about it. And if they can click on the link immediately, that's better than them having to try and find it. But Indeed. Speaking, Sticking with the, um, the corporate involvement, while this event has um, a number of partners um, from established corporate world, is this something that you believe other corporations can learn from this? Definitely, and I think this is a, about aligning the principles of citizenship, corporate citizenship. We all have a business model, we all have a business activity, but I think it's absolutely essential, essential for any business to be sustainable these days to understand the role it plays in the wider communities in which it works and serves and in society overall. And that can be influencing on a national level, but it can also 
influence on a global uh, level. You take somebody like Paul Pullman, a business leader at Unilever, who really redefined the expectations around corporate social responsibility and ESG reporting in a way that has had a massive influence. So I think there's a fabulous opportunity for like-minded corporates to be both inspired by the young people that they will be exposed to, but also understand how they can better channel the capabilities and competencies of their organization for the greater good. Okay, that's good. And, and you know, you, you talked about um, SER, corporate social responsibility. It's pretty much on everyone's radar. Um, broadly speaking, because we're going to talk about um, Verizon specific achievements and targets in the next set of questions. But, but for now, what do you think is an imperative um, for the established organization with regards to corporate social responsibility? Where some of the newer technologies and um, organizations are leading? Well, I think the key here is that it's uh, we need to move from what I would describe as compliance and minimum viable commitment to actionable uh, orientation, which says, how can a corporate be an active change agent? Um, and we started in a situation where many companies were simply reporting to explain to investors and others that they had met minimum standards. Uh, I think now we're in a phase where people really are focused on how do you harness innovation? How do you harness technology? How do you harness the scale of capabilities that many corporate organizations uh, have access to and focus them uh, into um, actionable programs that will help society overall? So at uh, Verizon, we are very much committed. We have our program called Citizen Verizon, which brings together our commitments to the sustainable development goals. We're particularly mm -hmm. focused on digital inclusion, climate protection, and human prosperity, because those are areas where we can say, not just we think they are important, but we think we can be part of the solution and make an actual contribution. Why? Because things like technology and connectivity digital confidence, digital access are essential ingredients in the rights of an individual now, human rights essentially, their ability to fully par participate. And so those become uh, critical for a business like ours. And that's why we're involved in a thing called the Edison Project, which is actually looking at affordability and accessibility to the, uh, to the internet on a global basis where we only serve domestically consumers in the United States, we can be part of the vanguard in how we can make uh, technologies like 5G capable of solving problems in other parts of the world because of our leadership and because of how we develop the capabilities themselves and share some of that knowledge into other markets mm -hmm. so that they can accelerate their own deployment and make sure that when they build new technologies that they are inclusive by design. So that's the approach that we're taking. And we, we also broaden that out into very specific reporting that we do. And one of the things I'm particularly proud of is our capital report, where we talk in a great amount of detail about what we're actually doing to make sure that our employee base represents genuinely represents the community and society in which we in which we work and i'm very proud personally that the organization that i lead has a female majority in its executive and has a people of color majority not because of quota or because it's the right thing to do 
But to the point I made earlier, talent is available to us, whether it's in disabled people, whether it's in gender diversity, whether it's in diversity of thinking. If we're not bringing together the very best talent, then we're not going to be successful in business. And if it's all white male, then that isn't all of the very best talent that's available. So we have to be explicit about these things. Thank you for that. You've touched upon um, quite a bit of points that I want to talk about in greater detail further. But what's fantastic, I can hear your passion in all of this. And um, I even noticed there was a quote that you said that the Munich event was the highlight of your year. So let's continue with some of your quotes. Um, I, I read a statement by you and I quote, and I think you've already touched upon it, but I'm going to read it anyway, is that we need technology that serves our social purpose and is fundamentally inclusive at its core. You've, I think you've pretty much told us what you're doing in there, but is there anything else you can add to that? Yeah, look, I think there's two really important things is sometimes um, we become uh, harnessed to the technology. We need to make sure that the technology is in the service of the better purpose. And I think technology has the power to connect and enhance the lives of all people, including, uh, you know, billions that have previously been potentially off the grid. You know, one of the things that we've learned through the pandemic is that where work gets done, how work gets done, and what work gets done are all being reevaluated. In that context, we can be much more inclusive than perhaps we were in the past. And one area that I would highlight, well, we have billions of people across the world who have disabilities of different types. And sometimes accessibility has been a factor in whether or not they've been able to come to work in various different working environments. Well, in a distributed work environment, we have an even better opportunity to bring the tools of the economy to people rather mm -hmm. than expect them to come to those tools. And Verizon joined forces with an organization called the Valuable uh, 500, which is a global movement, which is recognizing that um, disabled people bring with them abilities. Mm -hmm. And so the Valuable 500 is a group of 500 corporates around the world who are committed to being more connected and inclusive and equitable around the employment of and affording opportunity to disabled people. And the key for me, and I touched back on something I said earlier, this is not philanthropy. This is not just a nice thing to do. It's about harnessing talent and matching that talent to real opportunities that exist to make a difference, to provide valuable, rewarding uh, work to people, which is, you know, an essential ingredient of a successful uh, society. And we can't claim to be moving the world forward, which is our commitment as Verizon. We build the networks that move the world forward, but we can't claim to move the world forward when we're leaving people behind, disabled people, people who can't afford internet access, other things like that. So that's why as part of our commitment, we're upskilling students in the, with the curriculum and the experience they need to be the designers of a better world in the future. We focus our, uh, our, our efforts around education with our Verizon Innovative Learning Program. We work with uh, organizations like Teach Access, a collaboration among education industry and disability advocates uh, to make sure that we're creating the environment in which students' understanding of digital accessibility is there so that they have this digital confidence as well as digital access to be leaders of, uh, uh, of tomorrow. So it's very much fundamentals about building blocks 
to make sure that we're not just saying the right things, but we're putting in the enabling layer to create genuine choice and opportunity for as many people as possible. Uh, I'd be interested to know, how is this impacting um, Verizon? How is it impacting the organization doing this or trying to meet these goals? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. I think it, it impacts on a number of uh, levels. Um, it's embedded in the DNA of who we are, and that allows us to attract and retain talented people of all uh, walks of life, all shapes and sizes, all genders, etc. because people see it as a company that they would want to work for because of the explicit commitment to citizenship uh, that we express. The second thing that it does is it opens up our products and services to a wider uh, audience. And mm. that's a good thing. I, I don't see any inconsistency with the enlightened self-interest of us as a business selling more of our products and services if they're more accessible, more inclusive, more suited to the needs of people who might otherwise be on the margins or disadvantaged. So it makes good business sense. It allows us to represent ourselves as part of the solution, not simply part of the, the challenge. And I believe that um, the nature of um, capitalism, if you want to use that expression of corporate activity is that we need to be building coalitions uh, that are part of our future. I don't believe that we can solve any of these problems on our own. So creating new co coalitions, public-private partnerships, partnership with education so that people are coming out of the school and educational environment prepared for the work of the future, not simply for the roles of the past. In many respects, we have a generation of people of my age who are what I would describe as analog parents, but who have digital children. And so what we need to make sure is that we're creating an environment in education and in the workplace that we're harnessing the innate digital talents and skills of a generation that's, uh, that's coming through. So I think it helps us with the sustainability of our business model because it allows us to change to the reality of what's going on in our marketplace. It allows us to be competitive in the accessing and retaining of, of talent. And hopefully it makes us a better business at doing business because we're harnessing a broader range of talents than perhaps some of our competitors. Okay, that, that's pretty comprehensive. And um, I want to continue with um, Verizon specific questions here. You've recently celebrated 21 years. Firstly, congratulations. And how did you mark the occasion? Surely you were all still in some form of lockdown and social distancing. Yes. Um, so unfortunately, it did mean that both our 20th and 21st were, were slightly more uh, reserved uh, events than might otherwise have, uh, have been the case. Um, so we've ended up really celebrating our coming of age uh, in the context of some of the stuff that we've already been talking about it, you know, that adulting type uh, phase, the maturing of our position as a corporate citizen, but also about how we reevaluate in our organization post pandemic, you know, how work gets done, where that work gets done and, and what work gets done. So helping to redefine uh, the workplace, not just for us, but actually working with other organizations who are our customers to give them the tools, the technology uh, capabilities, the communications capabilities for mm -hmm. them uh, to also um, reset 
uh, in this in this new reality. And we've a relentless focus on our customers, which really drives uh, our strategy. Um, and in doing that, what we're trying to do is make sure that we're harnessing, as I described earlier, technology in a way that. I don't believe we sell technology. I think we sell experiences to our consumer customers and we sell solutions uh, to our business customers. And by taking this approach, I think we can be part of, we can be a change agent on behalf of our own customers as consumers, but also the businesses uh, which we work and, uh, and work with and, and serve on a on a day-to-day -day basis. So really our celebration of our of our birthday was a celebration of how we can be that organization mm -hmm. that builds the networks that moves the world forward around um, brand values of uh, trust and innovation. No, so it's more sort of a, a celebration of forward thinking and looking ahead rather than let's look at what we've done so far sort of thing. So that's Yes, and, and I do think particularly at 2021, it is that sense of coming of age. It is that adulting phase as the father of a 27 year old, you know. Mm -hmm. So therefore I think it is about how we make sure that we step up to the plate for the next level of commitment and, and impact uh, that we can make. And, you know, we, we see societies moving forward towards, you know, 5G in a way that we believe we can help in areas of education, telehealth, that kind of concept of health and well-being, aging with dignity, other things like that, to make sure that we're bringing our technology potential to bear on the most important uh, issues of our economy and our society. I want to expand on the 5G. So, so thank you for creating that link for me and, and continue to talk about your customers. Um, we know hybrid working for most is now the new normal, the combination of working from home and in the office. As stated in the introduction, your organization is at the forefront and you mentioned it as well in bringing 5G technology network that will re redefine how people interact. I'm sure it will aid tremendously people's wishes and organizations' plans to enable home working on a more permanent basis. Um, where are you with this? Uh, can you actually give my listeners a taste of how 5G is solving real-world problems today, problems that we can relate to? Yeah, so, so let me start with the very, the very basics. Um, you know, the reality of uh, 5G is that it can serve more connected customers and support more activity on the network than any generation of technology before. So in its very simplest sense, when everybody suddenly starts to work from home and there's a requirement for massive additional bandwidth, if I give you one data point, the mm -hmm. average smartphone uses about 10 or 12 gigs of data um, a month. The average home connection uses about 500 gigs of data a month. So you, you see that all of a sudden when people are needing to access the, the wireless network to do things that they would otherwise have done at the office creates massive incremental demand. So we've been building out our 5G network, what we call our ultra wideband network, which is our high capacity, high speed network across cities all across um, the US. And that has been providing this just this booster capacity that supports people who are working outside of their normal environments. But actually 5G, unlike the previous um, 
generations of wireless technology is made up of multiple currencies, as we describe them, which are discrete capabilities that 5G brings. And one of those, which I think is potentially the most interesting to your listeners, is a thing called mobile edge computing. Now, I'm no engineer, so I'll, I'll make this as simple as I can. Essentially, mobile edge computing is the concept that a lot of what currently gets done on your smartphone or your tablet in the way of processing, etc., can be done at the edge of the network. And you might say, well, why does that matter? Well, it matters for three very distinct reasons. One is it gives you much more flexibility of both cost and form factor. If you imagine I can take out of a tablet or a, a smartphone the, all the computing power that's needed, plus the big battery to support that, mm-hmm. I get much more flexibility about form factor. I can have smaller things. I can have different shapes, sizes, et cetera. But also, it's really important that if I do that, that it's uh, done in what we would describe as a low latency environment, i.e., no point in saying, I'll take it off the phone, but it takes five seconds for the response to my calculation or the response to my call for a web page. That's no use. Nobody would accept that experience. But 5G creates ultra low latency, as low as fiber in a fiber network. So that means actually there's no impact on the experience that a customer enjoys. And that creates the third element that's really exciting is a lot of people will have heard of and seen experiments with uh, augmented reality and virtual reality but usually to do those you need a big heavy (laughs) headset you may well need to be wired up in order to power the amount of computing that's necessary well imagine if all of that's done at the edge of the wireless network and you can have a slimline pair of designer glasses with a tiny ar clip on the side of them that allows you to walk through a city and learn its history, be in an educational environment and bring the whole thing to life. That is genuinely transformational. And that is the promise of 5G. And it's not just um, ideas anymore. Within a year or two, you will see that the fan experience at sports venues, the experience at uh, at concerts and other things will start to be amplified and uh, augmented by these new capabilities. And in a business sense, it will dramatically reduce the cost of things like robotics and other things. Um, Some of your listeners will have heard of the, um, the industrial IoT, the internet of things, the idea of lots of sensors that are linked together. Well, if you have a low battery, Uh, uh, demand, you can extend the life of a sensor, which means you can reduce the cost to deploy. And all of a sudden, things that we knew we could do with 4G, but just couldn't afford, can now be scaled massively. Like every skier will have sensors on their knees, their elbows, their shoulders, so that they can play back all of their runs in virtual 3D, but also learn how to have better skiing technique. So maybe we can all be downhill champions before the next uh, Winter Olympics. That's the sort of thing that I'm hugely excited about. This, well, this is really, really interesting. I could almost dedicate an episode, a series even purely on this topic. Really fascinating. I'm not sure if we'll all be downhill skiers, um, but no, <laughs> I'll, I'll be interested in your, your answer on this um, add-on question, considering what you've just said. Um, what tech and innovative developments excite you at the moment that you've not just mentioned? 
Yeah, one of the things that I'm really interested is, is whether the role of robotics comes out of being just an exceptionally niche um, area in industrial production and in, in other environments. I really do think if we are able to, I have a belief that the smart deployment of technology, including 5G, should create real opportunities for us as individuals in our economy and in our society. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of work that gets done today that is low grade, low value add, low satisfaction. And we it, it traps and harnesses a lot of people. If we can take a lot of the drudge out of those things and automate those processes, some people worry that says it eliminates all the jobs. My belief is it creates space for genuine creativity because the technology then can be in the service of the human and of the individual. And we take away the really low value, low grade things with robotic process automation, but also with the deployment of, of robots themselves. And I'll give you one example. By taking the, the brain out of a robot and the heavy battery needs and just running all of that on the edge of a wireless network using 5G, you can take a $100,000 robot and you can build it and have it operating at the same quality of uh, operation at $25,000, i.e. a 75% reduction in the cost. So I think what I'm really excited about is how we harness technology to create creative renaissance, create space for people to be more imaginative. And we tend to be slaves to technology. I passionately believe that the technology should be uh, for our service, for our purpose, dramatically improve the educational environment by bringing history to life, by bringing subjects to life, dramatically improve the work environment by creating an environment of genuine creativity. I don't think that's just pie in the sky. I just think it needs committed leaders across every aspect of our society to say, we are going to harness the finest technology we've ever had access to and put it to a purpose that improves the lives of every individual. That's what excites me. I hope that happens sooner rather than later because of my age, but never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> a general and high level question here. Um, today's world, and in particular in the, the telecom sector, is about speed, it's about choice, reliability, re resilience, safety, innovation, and meeting sustainable targets. Generally, how well would you say Verizon has performed under these headings? This is really a self-assessment, if you can be honest, please. <laughs> yeah. So I think the question is the right one, but there's also a trap in the question, if I, if I may, is that we are forever slaves to speed. You know, every time a car is advertised, it tells you what the maximum speed is, and you know you'll be very lucky to do less than half of that subject to the traffic and the roads and everything else is. The thing to understand about a technology like 5G is that speed and capacity are two sides of the same coin. So if we get excited and say that our ultra wideband network is the fastest 5G network in the world, yes, that's interesting. But what you should also understand is that because it's so fast, that also means inherently it's massively capable because it's a bit like um, lanes on the highway. You know, if the, if the way of going really fast is you need more lanes on the, 
on the highway. The truth is it's about throughput, not absolute speed. I can do more things. And that's what's really, really important. Choice is also important because in a 5G network, what we have is the capability to actually slice up and create individual components. I can give you a private slice of the 5G network where you as in an industrial environment in your plant or whatever it may be, and we're doing a trial with corning that make the glass fiber at the moment, they can actually run their own private network to control all their technology, their machines, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a hugely, hugely important thing. But actually for most of your listeners, the most important thing is reliability. If I'm going to adopt a new technology, if I'm going to unplug myself from the wall mm -hmm. in the simplest sense of moving from, from a fixed environment to a mobile environment, well, guess what? I want to be able to rely on it whenever, wherever. So this idea of ubiquitous connectivity and reliability becomes essential because it's a bit like if people didn't have a calculator, a, an electronic calculator, how many people could do it by longhand uh, mm -hmm. anymore? We move on and so we become reliant. And so one of the things that we build in at our core is this idea of reliability and Verizon is the most reliable network in the United States and has been for 16 consecutive measurement uh, periods as, as defined by Rootmetrics. Why? Because we know our customers rely on us because otherwise they don't have the confidence to unplug from the wall, to do things they wouldn't otherwise have done, to create new experiences in new environments. And that's what ultimately we're doing. We're liberating the imagination and the aspiration of our customers. Okay. Right, I'm moving on. Um, an interesting question next. Um, uh, what are your thoughts um, about our current new decade at the 20s? And how optimistic are you about some of the, the directions we're going in? Answer this question as you wish. You can be philosophical or you can be downright business. Um, what yeah. role will Verizon play in the potentially roaring 20s, would you say? Oh, it's a, it's a fantastic question. Uh, question and if I may I'll break it into two parts I'll, I'll reference back to something I said earlier we believe our role is to build the networks that move the world forward but the thing that you might have heard me say in networks presumes that I'm talking simply about networks as in technology networks mobile Cables. Uh, networks yeah. I'm actually talking about connecting people and mm. things about creating new alliances new coalitions to create new context for change, for more inclusion, for better outcomes for our society. So I see us very much as an agent of change, but one who's not just um, demanding change, but is actually stepping up to the plate and saying, we bring to the table some of the essential ingredients for inclusive and effective and sustainable uh, change. And as such, I'm actually excited about the fact that I believe that our society has the capacity to embrace more change, to reassess more things that we've, you know, kind of held to be principles, to reevaluate what truly it means to be an inclusive society, to, to redefine what social justice really means. And I think within that, 
while corporates shouldn't be defining the answers, corporate need to be part of contributing to the enablement of those quality conversations, those quality discussions, and then building a fabric of society that we believe better meets our needs going forward on the basis of not just inclusivity, but about reward and satisfaction. This idea, as I mentioned earlier, about the fact that people have fulfilling jobs, that there's space for creativity, space for optimism and opportunity. And I don't think it's naive to say that we can build a better world. I think the day we stop believing we can do that or stop committing ourselves to do that is the day we stop growing as a as a society and every company and every private sector organization as well as educationalists the public sector elsewhere we all need to have a common interest in building a better and more inclusive world and the very fact that we will try and do it is part of us being global citizens that's interesting um, there's something you said that even when you're talking you're still stuck in my head, and I, I just wanted to bring it out again. I thought it was a fantastic line, and um, that we are the sort of the analog generation. Our children will be the digital generation. What do you think the generation after that will be? Ooh, now there it is. And I, I, I do think in some respects, it's, it's the contrast uh, that says that the pace of change in our society has left people behind. So my hope would be whatever the next generation after the digital generation is, is that it's not a defining gap between age groups, but actually it's an inclusive new context for everyone, irrespective of their age. I have the privilege of still having both my parents at the ripe age of 92, yeah. but while I would never say they're digital natives, my dad can still work uh, to get a, a, a video call uh, done so that he can keep in touch with his children and his, uh, and his grandchildren. So we're just scratching the surface of a common age. But that would be my aspiration, that rather than we have different generations at different paces, we have a common age where we can all participate equally. All right, that's nicely put, nicely put. Okay, it's, it's Heads Talk and the final question in this episode. Um, we have to talk about leadership and in particular leadership in a pandemic. Um, as a CEO, CEO sorry, of uh, Verizon, what is your understanding of your role in these current and strange times? And what do you hope your legacy will be? Well, it'll be for others to determine what that legacy uh, will be. I think the most important thing that I, I think many of us learned and learned early was that in the period of fundamental uncertainty, uh, that the role that leadership can play is to actually eliminate uh, certain elements of uncertainty. And, and what I mean by that is, in the moment of the pandemic, everything was questioned. Mm. everyone was anxious about everything will I have a job will I have childcare to deal with the fact that my kids may not be going to school will I have and all of those things came on top of oh my goodness it, there's a, a, a global health uh, crisis so health and well-being is on top of the hierarchy but almost everything else got uh, called it to, to question and so what we realized as leaders was that we had an opportunity to create fundamental reassurance by stripping away some things and say, no, you don't have to worry about those. You can rely on, you can have the 
-hmm. certainty. In our case, it was, we're not furloughing anybody or laying anybody off. We will provide incremental childcare to make sure that you can continue to work, even if your children uh, aren't able to uh, go to school and you're responsible for homeschooling. So we very forensically looked at the things that we could control to reduce the amount of fundamental uncertainty. And I think that was a real lesson in leadership was to, to reinforce the positives, to reinforce the certainties that we could, to allow people to then isolate certain things and say, it's not everything that's up for grabs. It's certain real issues that we now know that global leaders are focused on, but we can be reassured that will I have a job? Will I be able to work? Will I be able to look after my kids? Will I have health cover? Will I have whatever? Those things can be dealt with. So that idea of um, leaders standing up, holding themselves transparently accountable, but doing it in a very public and transparent way that allowed people to have a degree of confidence that there were some things they could rely on, even if there was genuine uncertainty on a global basis about uh, about health and our employees really appreciated uh, us doing that and practically how we did that was we convened a thing called up to speed which was an open mic forum as it were where the leaders actually presented themselves initially on a daily basis and then on a regular once or twice a week basis and we put that uh, event that uh, session outside our firewall so that we realized that not only were our employees interested in the but their spouses and children mm -hmm. were sitting around the same kitchen table at home who were also discombobulated by this whole new reality. The fact that they could hear that reassurance of um, leaders saying, we have your back, your job's not at risk. We know what we can do to help you in the some of the areas that are, are, are new to you and are creating uh, challenges. We moved 70, 17,000 call center workers to be able to work from home in a period of about 17 days. Mm. And so we're able to get them back to being not just productive, but the certainty that they could continue to work. Those are the sort of things that I think made a huge difference. And I hope our legacy, if, if, if I may be so bold to presume it, is we showed up when we were needed and we held ourselves accountable to the things that we could deal with. That's, well, Ronan Dunn, fabulous, fabulous conversation today. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you, Elaine, for the invitation. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.